Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central, simpler communications. Welcome to MLB Daily, your one-stop shop for daily baseball content. I am LJ LaFura. Alongside me, I've got Brandon Karam, and we are a Belly Up Sports podcast. We are what they aren't. Brandon, how you doing? LJ, doing good and certainly very excited for uh, this episode as we have... um, I don't know. I don't even know how to categorize like what you would say biggest interviews or best best interviews, but certainly one of our one of the favorite uh, ones that we've done um, is coming up uh, right after LJ and I get done talking. We talked to Glenn Geffner, the Miami Marlins uh, radio play by play broadcaster. Uh, tremendous insight on the Marlins and just a guy who has been around a baseball for so long told us how he got involved with with the game um, and just just an, an incredible uh, time we had with him oh my gosh so much fun and again huge thank you to Glenn for being able to come on with us I mean just fantastic to hear his stories his journey to getting to the Marlins even. I mean, just there's so much uh, so much he's done, so many bit different parts of baseball he's been a part of, and it just makes for even more of the history of the great game. So, Brandon, do we want to go ahead and jump on over to that? Uh, yes, we will. 
Welcome back. We are now officially here and very happy to have Glenn Geffner joining us for today. Glenn, how are you doing? I'm doing great, guys. It's good to be with you. Um, so if you wouldn't mind, just tell us a little bit about yourself, um, how you got started. Uh, it's a long story. Uh, it goes back a ways. Well, I'm currently in my 31st year working in baseball. Uh, I've, for the last 15 years, broadcast for the Miami Marlins on the radio. I grew up in South Florida, left many, many years ago to go away to college at Northwestern outside of Chicago, uh, got involved in broadcasting in school, wound up working for five years in AAA in Rochester, New York with the Rochester Red Wings, who at the time were the AAA affiliate of the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, from there on to the San Diego Padres, to the Boston Red Sox, and eventually after the 2007 season in Boston, I had the chance to come back home to Miami and uh, join the Marlins, and I've been here ever since. Now, what's been the best part of working in baseball for you? Well, baseball is what I loved growing up, and uh, I was lucky enough to have parents who taught me that I should follow my passion, and when you think about a career, something you're going to do hopefully for a very long time, you're best off finding something that you truly love, and baseball was always that for me. I loved sports in general, but baseball was above all what I was truly passionate about growing up. It's the one sport that I played growing up. I read everything I possibly could about baseball growing up. Uh, went to games whenever I could at various levels. It was hard growing up in South Florida. Didn't have Major League Baseball at the time when I was growing up here in the 70s and into the 80s before I went away to college. But uh, yeah, that's it. Being around the game every day. It's the sport that I've loved my entire life. I'm pretty heavily invested in it at this point. And uh, have been fortunate enough to be around some amazing people over the years, some amazing teams over the years. I've been a part of three World Series, winning two in Boston, and uh, I've seen a lot of history. I've worked with a lot of Hall of Famers, and uh, you know, I, I get to work in the candy store of life, so it could be a lot worse. Was there ever like a particular moment when like your inner fan was kind of like overjoyed over something you were doing in the field? What exactly would that be? Well, I, I think part of what is hard for a lot of people to understand is when it is your job, when it is your career, when you're totally invested in it, the way you become, when you do it long enough, uh, you're really not a fan. And, and as much as we'd like to idealize things and say, you know, we never lose being a fan, you know, we're, we're, we got a job to do. And uh, that job might to the average fan look really cool. And you might be, uh, you know, right at home plate as David Ortiz touches home after hitting a walk off home run to win a postseason game. And that's a pretty cool thing pretty cool place to be but I got a job to do in that moment and so uh, I think I've done a pretty good job over the years of separating being a fan and being a professional and it's a hard lesson to learn for somebody just starting out in the business it's a hard thing I think for a lot of people to fathom who, who don't understand the business fully but uh, you know, I, I think more in retrospect I'm able to look back at certain moments that I was able to be in the ballpark for or on the mic for and things I've been a part of and you think back quite fondly of things that maybe you had a, a behind the scenes look at and people that you were around and got to watch as they honed their craft and mastered their craft and excelled at the highest level for an extended stretch of time, so whether it was Tony Gwynn and Trevor Hoffman in San Diego or somebody like a David Ortiz or Pedro Martinez in Boston or in Ichiro during my time with the Marlins, uh, Ricky Henderson going back to my years with the Padres. I've been around a lot of Hall of Famers and a lot of incredible people too. So uh, I guess at the end of the day, you try to hang on to being a fan a little bit, but really it's more in retrospect when you look back at some of the things that you're able to be a part of and able to be around for more than actually in the moment. Now, you, of course, as you said, Miami native, you go on to Northwestern and then you do the reverse Don Orsillo and go from San Diego to Boston. <laughs> um, 
those are very. He did the reverse Glenn Geffner because I did it first. <laughs> That's right. Um, those are very different parts of the country, of course, from Miami. What were those adjustment periods like going from place to place? Well, every place, as you point out, is unique. And in a baseball sense in particular, uh, when you think about going from right out of school to Rochester, New York, which was a small town. On, to me, all Rochester was was the line on the back of Cal Ripken's baseball card. I didn't know anyone in Rochester, know anything about Rochester when I got there and started out as an unpaid intern just days after finishing up at Northwestern and fell in love with Rochester and met my wife in Rochester and made friends for life in Rochester. So, uh, you know, that, that was a, a great AAA type city in which to start from there to San Diego, which is one of the great cities in America, one of the easiest places to live, one of the most incredible downtowns, uh, great passionate fan base, was there for some remarkable years with the Padres, including 1998 when they won the National League pennant and went to the World Series, uh, was around remarkable people and really learned more baseball from Tony Gwynn and Bruce Bochy and Trevor Hoffman and Kevin Towers and people like that who I work with in San Diego. Uh, where you had a great fan base, a passionate fan base, but it was a little bit more laid back than then you get to Boston. And particularly in the years when I was in Boston, beginning in 2003 and through 2007, Boston truly was the hub of the baseball universe. And the Red Sox-Yankees rivalry in those years was as hot as it's ever been at any point in the incredible history of that rivalry. So my first year there was 2003, and I was indoctrinated by the misery of the Aaron Boone walk-off home run when game seven of the ALCS. Next year was 2004, the remarkable comeback of being down three games and on the ALCS, winning the World Series for the first time in 86 years. The ups and downs of 05 and 06, winning the World Series again in 2007. Uh, and, you know, in Boston, it's just, it's such a part of the fabric of life, of the culture. The, the city, particularly in those years, and the entire region just revolved around the Red Sox. If the Red Sox won, it was a good day. If the Red Sox lost, it was a bad day. And it was as simple as that. The passion for the Red Sox at that point was indescribable, really. And, uh, you know, they started the long sellout streak. About a month into my time in Boston, the Red Sox started the run of, I think, it was something like 700 consecutive sellouts at Fenway Park in the regular season that went uh, until a few years after I was gone from Boston. Uh, so basically every game I ever saw at Fenway Park was sold out. Every game I saw at Fenway Park, even a Tuesday night game against the Kansas City Royals on a rainy evening in april felt like game seven of the world series because for so many people it might be the only chance they get to see a game at fenway park that year so it meant so much to them and to to be in that environment where going to a game at family really was like making a family pilgrimage and, and you'd see a child sitting with his or her mother or father and sitting with the the grandparents as well and the generational thing so boston was such a unique place to work uh, incredibly intense incredibly passionate incredibly exciting the highs were very high the lows were very low then I knew leaving there, coming to South Florida, that Miami's going to be very, very different. And it certainly hasn't disappointed in that regard. It's been very different. Uh, Miami is a place where, quite honestly, it's a lot easier to leave your job at the ballpark. When I go home at night, the Marlins aren't as much part of the culture down here as certainly the Red Sox are in Boston or a handful of teams are as the Cardinals are in St. Louis or, uh, you know, you can name a handful of teams that are that way where the fan base is so singularly locked in on every high and every low of the season. So Miami is a lot different. And uh, I came here knowing that and understanding what it was going to be like, but embracing it as well, because I always said Boston kind of ages you in dog years when you work around the Red Sox, particularly the years when I was there. Uh, one year equals seven years. And it was the right time for me to make a move. And I don't have any regrets looking back on it. 
what was it like being able to kind of have this homecoming, being able to go back and work with the Marlins now? Well, it's a homecoming, I guess, literally, in that I grew up down here and now I've come back, but I've been gone for so long. I left for college in 1986. I came back here 22 years later in 2008. Uh, when I came back, didn't have any family here anymore, didn't really have many friends here anymore. The Marlins didn't exist when I left South Florida in 1986. Uh, they were born in 1993. So it wasn't even like I was coming back to this civic institution I'd grown up supporting or anything. Uh, we, we don't live where I lived growing up. We live in a very different part of South Florida, uh, a part of South Florida that actually today is kind of like where I grew up was back in the 70s and 80s because everything changes over time. But uh, so in a sense, it was a homecoming, but you know, not really in a literal sense. Uh, it was brand new to my wife and our children. And, uh, it, but it's been exciting to think back to growing up dreaming of broadcasting major league baseball and now getting a chance to do that in the city where i grew up uh at a time when i was a kid you know we could only dream that one day we'd have major league baseball and now we do have major league baseball and as of 2012 we have a ballpark here in south florida and uh so in that sense it's really cool and you know to be able to go back from time to time to the high school i attended or, or to meet people from the neighborhood where i grew up and and to know that they're paying attention to what i'm doing is pretty cool now, before we get into the this Marlins team itself, um, you've, of course, you know, you've worked, experienced a lot of different places, a lot of different divisions, a couple leagues. Who would you say is the best player you've watched over this time? The best player I've watched? Wow, that's a tough one. Uh, the guy who is in Cooperstown and made the biggest impact on my life and career is Tony Gwynn, who you could argue is one of the great pure hitters in the history of the sport. I learned more baseball from Tony in the years I spent with him than from anybody I've ever been around. And to this day, if you listen to me regularly, you'll hear Tony's words come out of my mouth. Uh, generally, I'll quote him, you know, Tony Gwynn used to say this, or Tony Gwynn once told me that, uh, but he may have said something to me sitting in his locker in 1999 that just spills out of my mouth here in 2022 on a random Wednesday night. So he, he made a huge impact on me and to watch what he did and the way he went about his preparation and how important the, the art of hitting was to him really made a huge impact on me. So uh, from a pure offensive standpoint, I got to go with Tony. Uh, from a pitching standpoint, you know, I saw Pedro Martinez uh, during some great years in Boston. I watched Trevor Hoffman lock down the ninth inning in the prime of his career in San Diego. So those are the two guys who really come to mind on the pitching side. All right. Well, let's get into uh, some actual talk about this 2022 a Marlins team uh, this is a team where at the time of recording they're 18 and 23 uh, they sit nine games back from the Mets who are in first place in the NL East and um, a team that's been anchored by uh, really it's it's top two starting pitchers for the last few seasons Sandy uh, Alcantara and and a Pablo Lopez, um, you know, what's been your general thoughts um, on how they played through the first 40-so games? I think they're pretty much right where they ought to be based on how they've played so far. They've lost a lot of one-run games. They've played more one-run games than any team in baseball. They've lost far and away more one-run games than any team in baseball. I think they're up to 13 one-run losses at this point. Uh, they, they were, I think, fourth in the majors in one-run losses last year with a pretty good pitching staff and not much offense. The hope was in adding some offense this year, most notably bringing in Jorge Soler and Avi Garcia, 
Uh, you score a few more runs and you flip some of those one run losses, turn them into one run wins. And the offense really has been a big disappointment so far this season. Uh, they just haven't gotten it going yet. And they're still losing these one run games uh, night in and night out. I wish I could say they were playing great baseball. They have not. Uh, you mentioned two names that certainly should be pointed out. Pablo Lopez and Sandy Alcantara, both off to tremendous starts. Sandy's established himself over the last three or four seasons as a legit top of the rotation major league starter. He's been to an all-star game. Uh, he's got over 200 innings. He's got over 200 strikeouts. He's gone out there for 30-plus starts uh, twice now in the last three years, both of the last two full seasons. Uh, obviously, the COVID season fell in between there. The question of Pablo Lopez, who's pitched very well this year so far, is can he do it for 30 starts? Can he get close to 200 innings? He's never come close to that as a big leader. He's had a lot of shoulder issues, missing time through the last four years because of shoulder problems. He's never made more than 21 starts. He's never gotten over, I think, 131 in the third innings in a season. So can he hold up over the long haul and give you what he's given you so far over the first six or seven weeks of the season? And then the Marlins clearly need others to step up in that rotation. Jesus Luzardo is off to a really good start. He's on the injured list now. Trevor Rogers was really good, particularly the first couple of months of last season. Had some issues, fell off a little bit down the stretch, and just hasn't caught fire yet this year. The Marlins need him to step up and be the guy they think he can be. Uh, they, they've got some pitchers in AAA who are knocking on the door who at some point are going to replace Eliezer Hernandez, who's currently really a placeholder in the rotation for Miami. But whether it's Max Meyer or Edward Cabrera, or a little bit further down the road, a guy named Yuri Perez, who's 19 and already dominating a double A. Uh, those guys are going to be in this rotation soon. But but you, you said it right, because a lot of people talk about how good the pitching has been. Really, the top two guys in the rotation have been really good. And for the most part, the bullpen's been good. They've let some games get away late, which has been a problem. They need a closer. They don't have a closer at this point. Uh, but you started at 18 and 23 at the time we're recording. And as I start, I think 1823 is about where this team ought to be. Are they as good as the Mets and the Braves? Clearly not. And they haven't been for several years. Can they compete with the Phillies? Yes. And they have for several years now. Are they better than the rebuilding Nationals at this point where the Nationals are? There's no doubt they are. They won five out of six from the Nats. But the hurdles they got to clear in this division are the Mets and the Braves. And they got a long way to go to do that. If you had to, if you had to put a timetable on it, how many years are we talking from them clearing those hurdles and what changes would they have to really focus yeah, that, on? That's a tough thing to say because it comes down to what the organization is willing to do in terms of how quickly will they promote top prospects and how are those top prospects going to pan out? Uh, how aggressive will they be in free agency? How aggressive will they be making trades, whether it's to bring in a closer, whether it's to bolster the lineup, whether it's to bolster the back end of the rotation, if you're not going to bring those starters up from AAA or AA at this point, so that's really, you know, I would say kind of out of my hands. I don't feel like all the final pieces are here yet. And it's going to be up to the organization to make a determination of how long they're going to wait to bring in some of those final pieces. But, uh, you know, realistically, going into this season, anybody who thought this was a playoff team, I don't think was being honest with themselves. When you simply look at the fact that, yes, the Marlins made improvements from the end of last season to the start of this year. They invested more than $150 million in free agents and in contract extensions for Sandy Alcantara and Miguel Rojas. That said, you don't improve in a vacuum. The Braves got better also. The Mets got better also. Other teams are, are trying to beat you also. They're not standing still. So they got a long way to go. They dug themselves a big hole, and they're slowly but surely climbing out of it, but there is still a ways to go. Now let's talk about a pretty big piece for this Marlins team. Jazz Chisholm, certainly one of the better players on this roster. Do you think he's talked about enough in the national media and really – 
seeing him every day, how good do you think he could end up being? I think Jazz has the talent to be as good as Jazz decides he wants to be. And wanting to be good, wanting to be great, and putting in the work and the effort and the focus to be great are two different things. We all want to be good, right? But how many of us are going to do the work day in and day out and be great? How many of us just want to be celebrated for being great without even being great yet? So jazz three or four days a week will do something on the field that makes your jaw drop, whether it's turning hundred miles per hour around in the blink of an eye, whether it's just packing a defensive play or an electric play on the bases. He recently scored from second base on an infield hit, on a brilliant base running maneuver in a big spot in the game. But he still isn't a finished product. He still has a long way to go. And in a sense, you ask if I think he's talked about enough. I would suggest maybe he's talked about too much at this point based on what he's actually put on the back of his baseball card to this point in his career. He's done a lot of great things in spurts. He's never had a full great season. He's had a couple of great months, got off to a great start last year, really flamed out the rest of the way. He got off to a great start this year. He's cooled off a little bit lately. So he does a lot of things that, that go viral on the internet. I understand that's the age in which we live. He's a spectacular talent. He's a dynamic talent. He's an electric, charismatic personality, and that's all great. But I want to see the back of the baseball card, and not just for half a season or for one year, but give me two or three or four or five years, uh, you know, really be one of the elite players in the game, not for April and May, but for the first half of the 2020s, you know, and let's go from there. So uh, you know, I'm a guy, I've been around the game a long time, and I respect tremendous talent, what I really respect are the guys that go out there year in and year out and put up numbers. And, you know, for all the potential Jazz has, he's got the potential to be as good as anybody in the game. But at this point, it really is still potential until he's done it for a full year, until he's done it back-to-back years, until he's done it three out of four years, until he's shown he can stay healthy and, and be productive long-term. So he's an electric player, a dynamic talent. It's easy to see why fans love him and why you see more Jazz T-shirts and jerseys than anybody else is in this community. But, you know, for me, when you talk about who's the, the key guy on this team right now, St. Contra is the guy who's gone out and put up numbers year after year and just keeps his mouth shut and performs. He knows he's really, really good, but he doesn't have to tell you. And, and I love the way that he carries himself. I really respect the way Pablo Lopez carries himself. Uh, not quite as accomplished to this point as Sandy is. But, uh, you know, it's, I'm more about the long game than the short game with Jazz. And I think the long game has a chance to be really, really special but he's got to put in the time. He's got to put in the commitment and we'll see where it goes. I want to talk a little bit about uh, the shortstop uh, spot here on the Marlins, because for the last few years, um, it's, you know, it's kind of been a revolving door of sorts. Of course you have Miguel Rojas there, who I believe is the longest tenured Miami Marlin. Um, up until this yeah, point. And, you know, you have gotten s- solid contributions from him, and he's certainly a great guy to have there in the clubhouse. But um, he's 33 years old. Um, he's certainly not having the best season of his career this year. Um, where do you think they could potentially go, um, you know, uh to try to fill this spot? Or do you think that, that Rojas is a guy that you want to keep around? Um, 
Well, to, part of the answer is here already. Unfortunately, he's on the injured list right now. The Marlins brought Joey Wendell in this past offseason in Tampa Bay. And I really enjoyed watching Wendell as a Ray. In fact, at one point last year, we were playing Tampa Bay. And I made the comment on the air. I said, you give me a team of 26 Joy Wendells, and I'll take my chances against anybody. This guy's a baseball player. This is a guy you talk about putting in the work, putting in the time, really being a student of the game and and just playing all out all the time, doing all the little things it takes to be a winning player, a grinding type player. Uh, he's that guy. And at the start of the year, he was playing a lot of third base, playing a little bit of shortstop also. Uh, the prospect of a platoon at short between Joey Wendell and Miguel Rojas is intriguing to me. Miggy's guys always hit lefty pitching really well. He is, as you point out, getting up there a little bit. He's off to a slow start this year. Uh, Joey Wendell was sharing time at third base with Brian Anderson. And maybe that's something that when Wendell comes back, which could be as soon as this weekend in Atlanta, uh, maybe a way to go with Wendell continuing to share some time at third base with Anderson. But with Anderson playing pretty well, uh, maybe some more reps at shortstop for Joey Wendell would make sense. Miggy is a leader on this team. He's been around a long time. He's a remarkable influence on everybody. He's a great guy to have around. And they've got him signed for this year, next year still. But if at the end of the day, you're trying to win tonight and you're trying to win as many games as possible in 2022, I think a little bit more of Joey Wendell may be key, but they got to get back off the injured list. Uh, of course, other than guys like Joey Wendell and Santi Alcantara, are there any guys on this roster or in the minors that you think are kind of going under the radar? Well, Wendell would be the first guy uh, who I don't think enough baseball fans know about. As I said earlier, I'm kind of an old school guy, and I love guys who play the game hard, who play the game right, who do all the little things well, who run the bases well, who always know where to throw the ball, know when to hold on to the ball and not make a throw in a stupid spot. Uh, and Wendell is that kind of a player, and you hope that rubs off on everybody around him uh he really would be the guy who stands out for me uh, on this team that doesn't get the appreciation he deserves even based on the years he spent in tampa bay i talked to people in the Rays organization this spring who said we are going to really miss having joey wendell on this team and in this clubhouse he meant so much the success of the Rays in recent years that i think a lot of people on the outside can't comprehend so you know hopefully he's back this weekend and he can be healthy and productive because he's that kind of a player and we talked about bringing in Garcia and Soler this past offseason. Those were the two moves that got all the headlines. They brought in Jacob Stallings, a gold lover behind the plate last year, and, and that's a huge addition also. But for me, Joy Wendell is the biggest addition they made, and you just got to keep him on the field. But he, to answer your question, would definitely be that guy. All right. Now, what do you think of Don, what Don Mattingly has done in his time in Miami? Do you think this guy is the guy to continue leading them forward? He's been dealt uh, some tough hands, I would say. You know, he came in in, what, 2016 was his first year. Uh, you had a lot of talent here at the time, but the core group of players who, as good as they were individually, never finished even 500 collectively. And I'm talking about Jose Fernandez, Giancarlo Stanton, Christian Yelich, JT Romuto, Marcelo Zuna. Uh, you know, those five guys alone were together for about five years and never even finished at 500. As much as people talk about breaking that team up, that team hadn't accomplished anything. So Donnie gets here in 2016. Uh, the team's hanging around the wild card pursuit at in the middle of September that year when Jose Fernandez dies. And that really set this organization back dramatically. Certainly losing a talent like that, you can't replace a pitcher like Jose Fernandez. But what he meant in that clubhouse really set this franchise back a lot. And, uh, you know, 
there are only a couple guys left on this team today who were here for the Jose years and understand the impact that he made. But this team, as it was constituted, was never going to be the same and was never going to take that next step after Jose passed away. Uh, they made some mistakes in 2017, the old ownership group, in trying to replace Jose Fernandez by overspending on some relief pitchers and giving Wei Yan Chen more money, way more money than he should have gotten. Uh, and that really set the franchise back. Then you have to sell the team, and they decide to start from scratch. And so all of a sudden, Adani in his third year loses Ozuna, loses Yelich, loses Stanton, and now he's managing a team that's very much in rebuild mode or build mode, really, because it's never been built up. You can't rebuild what hasn't been built already. And so it's really not a rebuild in South Florida. It is a build where they're trying to put together a franchise that's capable of sustained success, going to spring training year after year with a chance to compete for a spot in the playoffs. And uh, so all of a sudden he's in building mode with a very young team. He's a great teacher and he's embraced that part. If people think of Donnie as a Yankee, and as a Dodger, two huge market franchises where money was never an object. We had veteran players largely over the years. You could sign any free agent you wanted, but he's really embraced working with young players. He really enjoys the teaching aspect of what he's doing. Uh, now you have a little bit of a mix as they've added some veteran pieces in a Wendell, in a Stallings, in a Garcia, uh, in a Soler. You still got some younger players. You got some younger players to come. And Donnie's had to change the approach again a little bit. So uh, the organization keeps kind of changing course around him. He's working to adapt as best he can. Uh, he's a great man. He's a great baseball man. He's devoted his life to this game. And certainly I hope he's the guy at the helm when this franchise finally does get everything put together and gets uh, to the postseason again and can begin to sustain that success that they're talking about because he's put in a lot of time, a lot of effort, and he's had a lot of starts and restarts just in the seven years that he's been here. Fantastic. Uh, that just about wraps things up for us. We'll leave it open for you. Anything else you want to add? Anything you want to think plug? we've covered a lot. It's been fun talking baseball with you guys. I appreciate what you guys do on a daily basis. Your passion for the game is great. And uh, anybody who loves baseball, I'm happy to sit down and talk with any time. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Glenn and Brandon. I'll let you wrap up. Yeah, Glenn, th thank you once again uh, for joining us. Uh, but that will do it for today's show. Be sure to check us out on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, at MLB Daily Pod. And uh, until then, we will see you. Have a good one. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team, Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.